somebody and say, it's good to see you. And look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And don't worry, Lompoc Campus, I hear that Pastor Tyler has a great uh, plan to get that written on the wall. And so whether or not you're at the Lompoc Campus or here in Buellton, if you need a Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand if you forgot one. One of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, take that one and read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Um, maybe you didn't know that there's a group of people at 213 North J gathering right now. And so if you're at the Lompoc campus, we are so glad you're joining us. Uh, maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're gathering uh, in Buellton or in Lompoc. The point of the church, uh, this word the church in Greek is ekklesia, which implies the gathering of the people of God. The church is not a building. The church is not a place. The, the church is a gathering of the group of a group of people. So it doesn't matter when, 9, 1045, Buellton or Lompoc or online, uh, it matters that you gather. Amen. And if you're watching online, let me encourage you that if you are local, get here in person as much as you can because you need more than sermons. You need someone. Amen. Amen. And uh, uh, maybe you're like, well, I, I don't, I don't need anyone. Well, then you need someone more than ever. And uh, but the reality is, uh, someone needs you. And so allow people to read the story that God's writing through your life. And so let me encourage you to get here as often as you can. Make it a habit. Uh, we've been in this series over the past couple of weeks entitled "Prayer: Grasping the Heart of God." And so we're going to continue on with it, that series today. And so I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Corinthians. And if you're new to the Bible, you start in the right and turn left and you'll find it much faster. I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3. And you can say amen when you're there. 2 Corinthians verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 3. It reads this way. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought. Look at somebody and say every thought captive to obey Christ captive to obey Christ I committed it to memory I learned it this way for the weapons of our warfare are not of this world but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God taking every thought captive under the obedience of Christ will you pray with me Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace today, that you would help us in our weakness, that your strength would be made perfect. Help us to strive forward, putting aside every weight that so easily sets us back, and let us press on to the high call of Jesus Christ. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. How many of you get easily distracted? Right. <laughs> it's very rare that I, I open with an illustration that encompasses the entire room. I was expecting a few. It was the same way in the first one, and I'm convinced that in the Lompoc, uh, at the Lompoc campus, it's probably the same. But let me, let me show hands again. How many of you get easily 
distracted. Some of you are like, what, what are we talking about? Right. Uh, so some of us are like squirrel, right? Like what, what's going on? Where, where am I going? Uh, and, and we get easily distracted. And it's interesting in a society like we have today where we are admitting that we get easily distracted and then our world is constantly bidding for our attention. Have you noticed this? I saw someone talk about this recently where people used to get bored. Do you remember that? And now boredom is a rarity. We always have something bidding for our attention. We have something constantly with our smartphones and our devices, our television. Now the digital landscape and really the economy is ran on digital real estate, which is now bidding for your attention. So in a society where we all quickly go, yes, I get easily distracted, we realize that there are companies and 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 algorithms and, and, and meetings and planning meetings all bidding for your attention, trying to distract you even more. And then we get to a passage like this one that talks about our attention, talks about our uh, our imaginations, our thought life. Because let's be honest, what happens is, is whatever I'm looking at tends to fill up the brain space. And, and then let's be honest, if it's in the brain, more often than not, it's out the mouth. Have you ever noticed this? How many of you have a hard time not saying what you're thinking? <laughs> like, 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 here's what I said. I saw both services. I saw more head nods than hands, right? Like, like, and that one, no one wanted to be, yeah, that was me. Push. So sometimes we have a hard time filtering. You ever been around those people? And now even with our social medias, maybe it's not said, maybe it's now it's tweeted and you get cramps in your thumbs from time to time because if it's in here, it's out there. And, and, and Or you're watching it here and you can't help but be frustrated and let everyone else know about it and so yet we have a hard time controlling our our speech our tongue because we have a hard time controlling our thought life because our thought life is completely dominated by what we are distracted by and and then let's be honest, what we're trying to fill it up with is we're trying to gather all kinds of information and knowledge. We want to know more. And, 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 and here, here's the problem is, is we are, are, just like our society, we are food rich and nutrition poor. And now uh, we are uh, data rich and starved for truth. Have you noticed this? And Google's gluttony, friend, right? And we want more and more. And yet, the, the more distracted, uh, the more confused. And we're constantly trying to figure out more information. We're trying to gather knowledge. Well, why? Because we want to know what's happening. How many of you always have to know what's happening? L liars, uh, right? I know, right? You, you want to know what's happening all the time. And, and the reason why you want to know what's happening is you want to try to predict what's going to happen. And that's the problem, right? You're trying, to, you're trying to add up the figures. You're trying to create the formula. You're trying to gather all the information that you can, trying to know that, trying to subdue. Have you ever noticed that as you scroll up, your anxiety goes up? You ever notice that? There's a direct link between this finger and anxiety, right? Or, or it used to be this finger, right? You, 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 ever, you ever watch the news and get frustrated? All of you, <laughs> right? All of, we're constantly looking for information. We're constantly trying to figure out what's going to happen by assessing what is happening, wanting to know all the time. And this is where anxiety lives. This is where fear thrives in the distracted. And here's the call. Here's the opportunity See, I, I want to talk to you about the opportunity, the invitation of prayer. 
Because we've talked about the idea of why pray. Why we pray is, is we want to see Jesus. Ephesians says it this way. He, he says, I pray that you would gain the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who Jesus is. That's my prayer for you. So why, why do we, we, we pray? We pray to see Jesus. And, and prayer is this vehicle. What is prayer then? Prayer is the vehicle in which I can journey with Jesus. Or in other words, prayer is the real tangible way of following Jesus. The first disciples were uh, people who actually physically were with Jesus. They followed Jesus. And Jesus says this line that I got to be honest, at times I'm frustrated with and at times I disagree with. You're like, wait a second, the pastor disagrees with Jesus? If Yes. And so do you because Jesus says it's better that I go away. You ever thought that? If, if he was just here. If I was just there, you ever, you ever thought like that? You ever been going through something? I wish I could just see Jesus. I wish Jesus was just right there in person. You don't realize what you're praying. You're praying to be a first century Jew in the middle of a Roman empire that is opposed to the gospel where it's criminal to be a Christian and that's where you want to be. Right, see, we see that the challenges are different, but the journey of following Jesus is the same. They found it difficult that even with Jesus in person, many people went astray. And yet Jesus says this. He says, it's better that I go away so I'll send the comforter, the spirit of truth. It's better that I go away. I'll send the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And he says, he will live in he will be with you and live in you. He will lead you and guide you into all truth. Well, what is the significance of that? Well, where fear and anxiety live is all in the unknown. Have you ever noticed that? How many of you, when you were young, you grew up afraid of the dark? How many of you are still afraid of the dark? So when things go bump in the night, and what are you afraid of? You've been in the house over and over. You live there. You know what's there. But all of a sudden now what's happening is the shadow has been cast and darkness has set in. There is no light. And now fear runs rampant because you are afraid of the unknown. So you want to know more fear of the unknown. I want, I want to know what's going to happen. This is where fear lives in the unknown and yet Jesus says I'll give you a comforter why is it comforting because he is God and he knows everything Amen. right let me just leave that right there like God knows everything Amen. that's good news and yet, here's this opportunity for you to have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, leading you, guiding you, comforting you as you walk in the unknown. So then you could echo the words of the psalmist. For even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Because, friends, it is merely a shadow. See, this is the enemy's tactics. And yet what we want is we want to know more because we think the more we know, it will alleviate fear as we try to predict the future and try to deal with the variables of the unknown. And this is where anxiety and fear live in this state. And yet... When you ask somebody, hey, I'm anxious, I'm afraid, the question is, have you prayed lately? You find yourself anxious? Do you find yourself uh, uh, fearful of the unknown? Have you accepted the invitation to follow and walk with Jesus? Pastor Tyler was talking to us in sermon prep, and he made this great statement. He said, there's 
We need to make a distinction because what we mean by unanswered prayer is really ungranted petition. Because according to the scripture, there is no such thing as unanswered prayer. If prayer is an invitation to follow Jesus, to walk by the power of the Spirit of God, to walk with Jesus. See, prayer is the real tangible way to follow Jesus. And yet that invitation is yours. He offers himself to you. So then the invitation is always open. So the answer to prayer is always yes. If prayer is a vehicle to Jesus, if prayer is seeing Jesus, if Paul writes, I pray that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might see Jesus. See, this word revelation is the idea of an uncovering, an unveiling. It's the same idea of, see, it doesn't mean apocalypse. It means unveiling. And yet, It's the same idea as a bride's veil being lifted and uncovering the bride. And so we don't want to use the word apocalypse with that, right? Even though it's the end of your world, bro. Uh, And My my wife just gave me a look. And, uh, right. And yet... That's exactly what we see in the book of Revelation. This all is leading to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the, 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 the bride of Christ, the church, spotless and blameless, made spotless and blameless, not by her works, not by her duties, not by her own righteousness, but by the cleansing flow of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to make us spotless and blameless, found in him, to be united with him forever. That's the whole journey. That's the whole story. That's where this thing is headed. And and so then as Pastor Rick was talking about communion and about praying in that moment and asking us to remember and see in the now and looking forward into the future. It's this vehicle for seeing who Jesus is. See, there's a war going on. There's a war going on for the landscape of your attention. There, there is a war, a bidding war, a very literal one. You may, you may think this war is about politics, and you may think this war is about outrage culture, and you may think this war is for the souls of the youth in university, but I can tell you this war is for the human soul. This war is not a physical war. This war is is not a natural war. But there's another world that is waging war looking for your attention. And see, the enemy's tactics is he is completely content with simply distracting you. See, the enemy doesn't have to convince you to worship him and bow down at, at his idol, at his feet. One of the, from a, a movie, I forget the name of the movie, but the character is played by Kevin Spacey, and he says the greatest accomplishment of Satan is to convince a culture that he did not exist. And yet he's simply content with distracting us because what... What you give your attention to, you'll give your affection to. And ultimately, your affection is what you worship and what your world will revolve around. Our attention, our affection. That's, that's why it's an insult when, when you're on your phone and you're out to dinner, bro, put it away and converse with your wife. Amen? Amen. Right? Put it away and talk to your husband. Put it away because what... what what you have, that attention, it's a, you don't mean it, but the reality is what you're communicating to is what you look at, what you behold, what, what you give your attention to has your affection, and it is indeed an act of worship. See, the enemy wants to distract. The enemy wants to pull away. And so then we get to Second Corinthians He says this, there is a war. There's a war going on. And the weapons of this war are not of this world. 
They're not of flesh. But there is this war waging on. And you're in the middle of it. And you have to figure out, how do I fight this war? And so he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Now think about that. Like, imaginations run rampant in the unknown. Right? Like, like, what you don't know, you will create. You will fill the gap. And so imagination runs rampant. And usually, it's a shadow. Usually, it's larger. You're, you're, you're ever made up in your mind, this is going to be worse. This is going to be terrible. And you're like, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Have you ever thought they weren't as bad as you thought? You, you, ever, you ever made up imaginations about people you don't really know? I'm just going to let that settle for a moment. Lompoc, you're with me, right? Like, you, you, ever had, you ever thought bad thoughts about people? Don't look at them. Don't look at them, right? Because a lot of times what we do is we, we create ghosts in our minds. We, we begin to create caricatures. We begin to imagine certain things about people. And then it affects how we live out towards them. He says, no, the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. They are mighty through God. They pull down strongholds and cast down imaginations in our lives. We tend to create the things. What, what happens is when something goes bump in the night and you get up, it is your imagination that is creating the fear for you. It is the imagination that's happening. Or you begin to create imaginations in your mind about that event, that party, that thing, that that reunion, you begin, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to have a good time. You ever begin to project onto things rather than actually being in the moment? That's why Philippians says it this way, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, right? The Lord is near. I need to to realize he's close by, he's with me. And I, I think the idea of being gentle and letting that be evident to all, when am I least gentle? Well, it's when I'm trying to enjoy something and you mess it up. Or I think you're going to mess it up. Or I have, a, I have a preconceived notion of how things are going to go. I, I begin to project onto things rather than enjoying what's right in front of me because I'm somewhere else in my mind. You ever been, I'm talking to the wrong room, right? And, and yet he says, the Lord is near. Be anxious about nothing, but with prayer and petition, make your requests known, and the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. It says that the peace of God, which transcends understanding, what does that mean? It means that you'll have peace outside of the moment. You'll have peace that transcends where people go, I can't believe you're calm right now. How are you going through that and still having peace? How, how, are you, how are you able to deal with that? See, here's, here's what the Bible tells us, that we'll be with God through this invitation of prayer. We'll realize that he is with us. We'll begin to have things that others outside of us do not have. What are those things? Joy, peace, hope. And they will look to you. First Peter says it this way. He says that you'll have hope. The world will be going to hell in a handbasket. And you'll have hope. And people are going to be like, what's wrong with you? Right? Why, why, do you why do you have hope? And First Peter says this. First Peter says, be ready to give a reason. This word in the Greek is an apologia. It's where we get the term apologetics, which is where we get the, the study of the defense of the faith. 
And so if you were to study out apologetics, oftentimes what you'll hear is a study about a defense against uh, atheists, uh, 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 evolutionary biologists. You, you'll get debates. You go, oh, that's apologetics or, or per- postmodernism uh, versus biblical Christianity. You, you'll get this idea of apologetics. But that's not what First Peter is actually saying. First Peter is saying, give a reason for the hope that you have. When everyone else is frantic when everyone else is chaotic and they they come to a place and there's joy and there's laughter and there's peace which transcends understanding people are going to look at you and say that's weird that's not natural and you'll say no it's not natural it's supernatural it's the supernatural way in which i follow jesus and realize he's right here in the moment. I could stop making stuff up in my mind. I could stop projecting imaginations. I, I can stop p- projecting on to others. I can actually be in the moment. I can enjoy what God has for me. And if I find myself in a difficult moment with prayer, this vehicle of being with Jesus at all times, because he says pray without ceasing. That's what we talked about last week. How do I do that? I'm always considering what Jesus would have for me. I'm always considering what Jesus wants for my life in every city. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that you consider his will and his way in every aspect of your life. Oh, that's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks, Lompoc. Right? Following Jesus is considering his will and his way at all times in all areas That's what it means to follow Jesus. How do I do that? Through constantly praying, being the vehicle of following Jesus. This is one of your weapons. What are the weapons of warfare? Prayer. What does it do? It it pulls down strongholds. Things that I've been distracted by. Things that have a grip on me. Things that I'm fearful of because I, I, I watched Fox News. Or CNN, but I wouldn't watch CNN. But anyways, uh, that, that was the 9 a.m. crowd. They liked that one. Anyways, is this M- MSNBC crowd? Anyways, uh, no. Uh, yeah, what, what, what happens is, is I'll find myself, whether it's through the phone, through media apps, through, through news apps, I'll crave information. I'll look to fill the gaps. It'll create strongholds in my life, imaginations onto people, people I've never met, politicians that I don't know, world events that I have no idea from. And all of a sudden, the, the bigness of the shadow games, the enemy is behind a curtain like the Wizard of Oz, making himself appear bigger than he is, not realizing that the enemy has already been defeated friend he is a wounded dragon he is limping away grasping at every shadow game he has left he is weak and anemic all he has are fear tactics because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world amen he's already been defeated and conquered the bible says that he exhausted the work of the enemy and put him to open shame if he had known what would happen when he they would never have crucified him but on that day he put to death death and we live victoriously through the spirit of god who has awakened us to a new life so you feel anxious you feel scared you feel depressed you feel like that imaginations and strongholds have taken over if you wonder i don't know what's going on with this and i don't know what's going on with that and i don't know what's going to happen over here friend have you accepted the invitation to follow jesus and allow his peace bring comfort to your heart so you can lead your family you can lead your community you can invite others to the table for he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life see what we have to realize is prayer is this avenue in which 
I begin to see Jesus more clearly. And as I see Jesus more clearly, I realize that faith becomes a tool, becomes a weapon to begin to remind myself to take every thought captive under the obedience of King Jesus. Because here's what I'm convinced. The, I will watch the news and think, Jesus isn't in charge. This world's going to hell in a handbasket. Right? Jesus isn't in charge. Have you, have you seen what's... Clearly, he's, he's taking a nap. Have you... He's asleep, right? Here's the reality. Is sometimes we think the problem of the world is with Jesus. Can I tell tell you something? Jesus is not the problem. Amen. Jesus is not the problem. I'm the problem. Jesus is not the problem. And yet oftentimes, the way we pray, the way we think, the way we worry, the way we're afraid, we're convinced that he's distracted. We're convinced that he's not attuned, as if he's confused, as if he was wandering around heaven, then he was like, oh, I didn't expect that one. Right? I didn't know that political party was going to do that one. Right? I didn't see that war coming. I didn't see that tactic. See, here's what you got to realize is when you think God is up to something, he's doing everything. God is in control. We are the ones spinning out of control because we've allowed imaginations and strongholds and shadow games to distract us. And yet, the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. They're mighty through God. They pull down those strongholds. They cast down imaginations. And every high thing that would try to convince you that Jesus is not in control. See, that's what this passage is about. The enemy would try to tell you he's not in charge. He's not in control. He's not on the throne. And yet, when you think God is doing one thing, he is doing billions of things. So then I have to go, what do I, what do I need? Well, I need, I need faith. I need to believe. I need to trust. There's a story in Matthew 17. In Matthew 17, uh, verse 14 says this, and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He is an epileptic and he suffers terribly for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? You still want to be face to face with Jesus so he can call you twisted? How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast him out? Why couldn't we do that? And here's what he said, verse 20. And he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have the faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Um, how many of you have heard this story before? So, look, how many of you uh, grew up in church? How many people didn't grow up in church? You're my favorite people, okay? All right? Like, and if you grew up in church, and if, if you're more seasoned than the, the next person, you probably grew up with this passage in church, and you probably read it from the King James Version of the Bible. How many of you grew up reading the King James Version of the Bible? How many of you still read the King James Version of the Bible? <laughs> right? The only reason I don't is I don't read Shakespeare. So, anyways. And uh, how, how many of you read the New King James Version of the Bible? How many of you have that? How, how many uh, uh, ESV people? This is the Jesus people. 
Anyways, uh, how, how, how many of the NIV over here with the Presbyterians? Get out of here. 1992? Uh, which version, right? So l- let me help you. Here's why this is important. Is, um, uh, you got to understand how we get the translations that we do. Now, let me say this. The King James Version of the Bible is one of the most prolific works of literature in human history. Okay? The ability and how and in the timing that they were able to translate, it is still considered one of the most amazing works of academia and, and, and ancient uh, literature translation of any other work, and it has sold more copy than any other version of the Bible. And the Bible is the number one selling book, and it is the first book ever printed. The, the printing press was invented in order to print the Bible. So it is literally the first book ever produced. And now, how we get versions of the Bible is we don't have, for those of you who don't know, we, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag, we do not have the original copies of what the disciples and the Apostle Paul wrote, the biblical authors. We do not have those original copies. You know, we don't, we don't, what do you mean we don't have the originals? I think it's by the, the sovereignty of God that we do not have the originals because we would not read them, we would worship them as idols. And we would lock them in an airtight case and we would never read them and never study them. Here's the beautiful thing. We don't have the originals. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies of those originals. And here's how it was. It was written in a time when it was criminal. And they didn't quite know that they were writing scripture as the time they were writing it, as it was being circulated to these early churches. And people would copy it down and send it to their neighbors, send it to their friend. They They would send it to the church like Ephesus or like Corinth. And then the people there would, hey, let me get a copy of that. Let me write it down. Let me sit down. Can I borrow it for a couple days and let me, let me copy it down. And then you copy it down. And we have all of these copies. Now, when you translate ancient uh, works of literature like this, and this is not just for Bible, this is any uh, type of uh, ancient literature, uh, what we do is we try to find the earliest manuscripts. Let's say that the original copies are written at this date. We try to find manuscripts. That's what we call them. The copies are manuscripts. We would try to find those that are closer to the original date. Now, let me give you an example. When the King James Version of the Bible was translated, the copies that we had were about 150 years from the original uh, manuscripts. 150 years. You go, that's a really long time. Well, uh, I won't date anybody, but there are people who live to be 100, so that's just a couple people away, all right? And so uh, you, you, you realize that, that that's not a long time in the span of history. Now, let me give you an example. How many of you remember reading Homer's The Iliad and the Odyssey in school? Now, that is considered one of the most prolific works in ancient antiquity. And Homer wrote it. And the date of the first manuscript was not 150. It was 1,200 years. And we don't have hundreds of copies. We literally have just a handful of copies. And it is considered to be as accurate of a translation to what Homer originally wrote as anything else. Now, the Bible is completely different. When the King James Version of the Bible was written, we had 150 years. Then there's this discovery called the Dead Sea Scrolls. You remember that? And as we've had more and more discoveries, that gap went from 150 to about 80. And even some that were even earlier than that, 40. What does that mean? That means within a generation of the biblical authors writing the first manuscripts, the copies that were there were within just a generation, making it the most accurate work of antiquity in all of human history. That's believers and non-believers alike say that what we have in our hands today is the most accurate work of antiquity in human history. We are confident that we have the words that the original authors actually wrote. Now, why is that important for this? How many of you like conspiracy theories? 
Fox News crowd, uh, right? Uh, let, let me give you the conspiracy when I was growing up. I grew up a charismatic and a Pentecostal, meaning that I believed in works of the Spirit, and I still believe that God moves and does miraculous things. But here's what happened. When the newer versions of the Bible came out, uh, there was th- all this controversy that the Presbyterians and the Baptists were removing parts of the Bible because they didn't want us to have the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Now, what do you mean? There's a passage in Matthew 17 that if you had a King James version of the Bible, it would read this. It is because of your little faith. These come out by prayer and fasting. Okay? And then if you were to have a new King James version of the Bible, it would make this. Why couldn't we cast it out? It's because of your little faith. These come out by prayer and fasting alone. And it would have a little asterisk beside it. And that would mean look at the footnotes at the bottom of your text. And at the footnotes, it would say some of the earlier manuscripts do not include this part of the verse. Now, if you were to read an ESV, you know, you Jesus people... It's a joke, friends. Uh, And what's the best version of the Bible to read? The one you'll actually read, okay? Uh, And and so uh, the ESV is a word-for-word translation. So what it means is it, it just puts in the earliest manuscripts, and it removes that passage, and it doesn't put a footnote to tell you these kind come out by prayer and fasting. It does not put that. Uh, the NIV does not as well. Some versions, maybe older versions did, but the newer updated versions did not. I don't think it was a conspiracy theory to remove this, but I think knowing that some manuscripts had added that helps me to understand the purpose of what Jesus is saying. Now, what do all the translations say when they could not cast out the demon? It says it was because of their, Lompoc, you're with me, right? I need mics from Lompoc. You're going to hear speakers coming in, right? It was because of their little faith. All the versions say that. It was because of their little faith. Then he goes on to give an illustration about faith. He says that if you had the faith, the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. So what it tells me, it's not about the quantity of my faith. You may say about the quality then of my faith, but you have to actually look at an encompassing view of faith. Now, because Jesus talks about faith in this regard to seed and substance, maybe another verse comes to mind out of Hebrews. Hebrews says this, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. And we get caught up on the substance part and we miss the part about seeing. The faith is the substance of things hoped for. What would be the substance of everything I could possibly hope for? He has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the substance of of things hoped for. And faith helps me to see Jesus. Helps me to trust Jesus. See, here's the problem. The disciples had a view of Jesus, but they didn't fully trust Jesus. They weren't sure of who he was yet. They were still arguing and debating. Even Thomas will come to him and he'll say, unless I touch his hands, I touch his side or his feet, I won't believe in him. See, I've used this illustration before, is that your view of something or your interpretation or your belief does not actually change the thing itself. What do you mean? It doesn't matter if you have a full ocean view a partial ocean view, or you're just smelling salt in the air, the ocean is the ocean. Your view of of something does not change what it is. Your view of Jesus does not change Jesus. So indeed, Jesus is not the problem. I'm the problem. And so Jesus doesn't need to be changed I need to be changed. And prayer is this vehicle for me seeing Jesus, knowing Jesus, 
in order that I might trust Jesus and my faith might be built. See, what this passage tells me about prayer and fasting is that prayer and fasting is a way to remove distractions so that I can see who Jesus is. Then my faith, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Then John says this way, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the substance of everything I could hope for put my trust in. He knows everything. He's in control of everything. He is doing something. And what I need to do is wage war against everything that would try to distract me from seeing Jesus. So prayer becomes a tactic. Fasting becomes a tactic. Why why would you fast? Because oftentimes my, my God is my stomach. Have you ever noticed that? I'm distracted by it. I'm driven by it. I have to apologize for it. Right? Sorry, I was just hungry. Why are you so angry? I was hungry. <laughs> like how often? The Bible says in the last days, people will not endure sound doctrine. They will trade the truth of God for a lie. They will call evil good and good evil. Their gods will be their stomachs. For all we're looking is for a dopamine kick in order to subdue and distract us from reality because we're not able to cope because imaginations and strongholds have taken over. I'm anxious. Have you prayed? I'm depressed. Have you journeyed with Jesus? I'm afraid about what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen. Have you met with him? Have you asked him to tune your heart and to reveal through the spirit of wisdom and revelation to reveal and enlighten the eyes of your heart? See, I know this to be a more encompassing view of the scriptures I think prayer and fasting, we can, we, can, we can put it into the text or remove it from the text in this part. It doesn't change that it was a lack of faith, a lack of trust. And how I build trust is being with Jesus. The more I'm with somebody, the more friendship, the longer I'm married, trust, faith, belief in one another. That's how it works. See, there was this story where John the Baptist's disciples, they came to, to Jesus' disciples and they asked this question. See, John the Baptist was, was someone who was a religious, really zealot. And he was a radical, really, probably a better word to use, radical. And he only ate certain things. He was a Nazarite. He didn't cut his hair. He ate locusts and honey and he wore animal skins and people thought he was crazy. And this is the, the, the cousin of Jesus. And John's disciples, they prayed and fasted. And those disciples come to, to or, or the Pharisees come and ask to go, hey, John's disciples, they, they pray and fast. Why don't your disciples, Jesus, why don't, why don't they fast? You know what Jesus says? He says, because I'm right here. Is what you mean. He says, why would they fast when the bridegroom is with them? But when the bridegroom leaves, then they'll fast. Then they'll fast. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, the point of all of this is me. It's not about religious ritual for religious ritual. It's not about doing something because the reality is there's no power in prayer or fasting. There's only power in Jesus. And prayer and fasting are vehicles that take me to the person of Jesus. So friend, remove away all distractions. Jesus says this, he says, pray in your secret place. Now, Orthodox Jew, 
would have this thing called a seat seat. And it would go underneath their, their shirt, their jacket, their robe. If you see one now, you'll see little, little threads hanging down underneath their sleeves. And what that is is for when it was time to pray, no matter where they were at, they could take that. And a lot of charismatic movements, they call these prayer shawls. And, and they'll take those and they'll cover their heads because that's what an orthodox, that's what Jesus would have done. He would have been in the marketplace and when it was time for him to pray, he says, go, don't pray in public, don't go pray out in the open, pray in your secret place. And he would put over this hood over his head and he would begin to pray. Why? To remove all distractions. What's that for you? Maybe it's turn off your phone. Maybe it's turn off the news. Maybe it's get in a quiet place. Maybe it's go for a walk. Maybe it's, no, no, no. You, you got anxiety? You got fear? Go to your secret place. Remove distractions. See, because here's the problem. We create imaginations and ghosts in our minds, and we're distracted and you cannot see Jesus when you're looking at everything else, friends. So we close our eyes to see Jesus. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, enlighten the eyes of our hearts as we close our physical eyes, as we go to our secret place. Let us remove the distractions of this world. The enemy only has those tactics. He is content with distracting us so we'll be devoted, we'll be disciplined and diligent to fight this fight well for our attention and our affection. We'll give you all the affection, all the glory and our worship for you are good and good to us. Help us in our weakness when we do not know what to pray let the spirit pray through us help us to see you Jesus we thank you and praise you let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley in Jesus name and everybody said amen, amen. will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise